This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jennifer Liu, CFO of Aduro Biotech, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 497. Hello, we're attending Perform 2019 Host Analytics Annual Conference, and we're speaking with Mike Rich, CFO of OnShift. Mike, over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Well, OnShift is a SaaS platform with, uh, it's a human capital management platform servicing mostly post-acute healthcare. We had just raised our Series E financing, so we are well on our way um, to growth and, and to, or through growth and into scale. So our number one priority right now is scale, is how do we get each department more efficient, whether it be the marketing department, customer success, um, finance, the sales organization. It's about scale and, and truly dialing in our metrics and making sure um, that we are getting performance um, in return out of every organization in the, in the company. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Tim Adams, CFO of Opsiva. Three years ago, Tim Adams probably never imagined that today he'd be taking spin classes in Geneva, Switzerland. At the time, the seasoned finance leader could be found queuing up at Logan Airport to board yet another flight to San Francisco. Of course, one could argue that it was a certain Logan departure gate that ultimately helped to put Geneva spin classes on the horizon, since it played no small role in transporting the finance leader to a round of talks that helped to seal the sale of Demandware, Tim's earlier company based in Woburn, Mass., to Salesforce of San Francisco. That sale happened back in 2016. We talked to Tim about that deal and about his new company, a Geneva-based biopharmaceutical company known as Upsiva. We begin after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, 
Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. interesting when I was looking back on your bio, you were in, I would say, the healthcare arena, but now it's clear you're biotech. Uh, is there a distinction there in your mind or no? Yeah, I think there's, there's actually a very interesting distinction. Uh, this is the first time I have ever worked with a biotech company. Uh, the reason I got into biotech is Upziva is focused solely on women's health. And one of my older companies, SciTech, was a device and diagnostic company focused on women's health. So the connection was women's health. And at the end of the day, my old company, SciTech, and this company, Ziva, are very focused on improving the lives of women. And so you had this other sort of segue into the biotech world. Um, had there been other opportunities that uh, you could have gone into biotech earlier? Or uh, didn't you, uh, you know, was it, it wasn't a priority necessarily. Right, it wasn't a priority. Um, I left my last company, Demandware, back in 2016. That was a tech company, e-commerce. It was sold to Salesforce. And I wanted to get back into healthcare broadly defined. So it could have been device, diagnostic, healthcare IT, biotech. And Abziva was the opportunity that presented itself that really – caught my eye because of the mission of the company and what we're doing to help women. All right. And I'm going to just dwell on this. Just one more question, because I think most finance leaders do not do what you've done. Is there some characteristic that you think you have? Some, uh, And I would think it's something of a communication uh, capability as well that you have that allows you to do this. But have you ever reflected on that? Well, I can't say I've spent a lot of time on that. It's What I think is important is you have to have skills that are transferable. 
Um, so there are core skills required, I think, to be a great CFO. And then as you go from company to company, industry to industry, you have to learn a lot of things. There's a lot to learn in biotech. It is very different than high-tech or other things that I've done in healthcare. So you have to have the willingness and the desire. You know, I call it the intellectual curiosity to want to learn new things. And I think that desire to be challenged and learn new things and work with people that are ten times smarter than you are in their field and you can learn from them uh, just makes it that much more of an exciting challenge. So uh, tell us about your arrival at Obseva. And, and it's interesting, again, um, as we've already relayed, this is your entry into the biotech realm for the first time. What are your priorities as you arrive there? Well, there's a couple things. Um, the company is headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, and I live and work out of Boston. I run a small office in Boston. Most of our team, we're a team of about 50. We have 45 in Geneva, and we have seven in Boston. So it's a pretty small team overall. And there are a couple priorities for me. I joined back in January of 2017, right before we launched the IPO. So mission number one was a successful IPO. We had to raise the money. We needed that to develop our compounds. Since then, we've done a pipe financing and a follow-on financing. So financing was a big priority. And then number two, what's very important about a biotechnology company is you have to stay on track with your clinical trials. Uh, this year, we could be running as many as six phase three trials, which is a lot. That's a huge uh, undertaking for a company of our size, an investment for a company of our size, and staying on track with the trials is critically important. And then communicating with um, you know, your shareholders, with Wall Street. Uh, they want to know what's going on and what they can expect from the company down the road, and that's a huge responsibility that, that I think we bear on the finance side through investor relations, that we clearly communicate where we are and where we're headed, and then, of course, you have to uh, execute and operate against that. Now, you mentioned you, put, you placed that emphasis on clinical trials and, and tracking them correctly. There's a whole communication channel that, you uh, perhaps haven't had to depend on before. It's one that allows you to really stay on top of these things. And that's an internal channel, isn't it? Uh, how would you characterize it? Yeah, I, I think it is. And part of it is, you know, there's a geography challenge here. Um, <clears throat> we show up every day in the office at 7 a.m. and it's already 1 o'clock um, in the afternoon in Geneva. So our CEO hosts a... Um, an executive committee meeting every two weeks, and at that meeting we have the opportunity to review in detail our progress against these various programs. So one, we stay connected with progress and how we're doing. And then we have conversations in those meetings to talk about what is the communication that we want to share with uh, the outside world and when do we share those communications. So, But it's this constant uh, loop of staying connected with your colleagues over in Geneva, because sometimes it's very hard. You're not in the office every day. You don't see these people every day. You have to work a little bit harder at communication because of the distance. Okay, and and um, and you just described a meeting that's regularly held. That, that certainly augments that communication. But, I mean, otherwise, is it just email, or how, how did you make certain that you were getting the information you needed? Well, you have to, you have to make the effort. Um, 
and I think it goes much beyond email. Uh, I prefer to pick up the phone and talk to folks. Uh, and then I go to Geneva about once a month. So I will spend a week, a month in Geneva. And I think the FaceTime is absolutely critical. We have a very strong technical team. Our CSO, our CMO, our Chief Commercial Officer, and certainly our CEO. And they have a wealth of knowledge in the biotech arena that I do not have. So it's, you know, their patience of me asking a lot of questions that may seem very fundamental at times because I was new to this space, but they were actually, they are great teachers, and I think that's been very helpful for bringing me up to speed to figure out what's really important, what do I need to know, and communicate. And then many times when we're talking with our investors, these are the experts, especially when they want to go a little bit deeper on the science side or the medical side, I call in the experts to participate in those conversations. Has anything surprised you uh, when it comes to communicating with investors, given the point of comparison that you have, having done this in other industries? Yeah, I, I would say what's very interesting in this uh, biotechnology world compared to uh, healthcare IT or even the device and diagnostic world is everyone has competitors out there. And in many other businesses, you talk a little more openly or a little more freely about the competitors. You know what their product is or their service, and, you know, you can talk about it and describe it. In the biotech world, it's very interesting. Uh, we do have competitors. We all run clinical trials. But unless you have a head-to-head -head study, then you don't really have the scientific data to make the comparison. And investors all the time will say, well, have you seen AbbVie's data or Myovance data? Those are two other competitors out there. And we have seen that data, but since we don't have the head-to-head -head study, you have to be a little more careful and cautious how you describe what they have as compared to what you have. Um, and so I think that's probably the fundamental challenge that makes it a little more difficult in this arena than in other, you know, even healthcare, other industries within healthcare that I've been in. Now, again, uh, curious about your point of comparison that you do enjoy. Uh, when we talk about metrics, you know, some of the same metrics have been part of your life forever. As a CFO, you've been looking at certain numbers and communicating them to investors or internally inside the company. I'm curious if there's uh, a particular set of numbers or measures that uh, – you never uh, realized would be as big a part of your life as they are today here at Obsida. Yeah, the um, you know one one of the common metrics that I've looked at in any company I've ever been at is cash, current cash that you have on hand, the cash runway that you have, how long will that cash uh, last, uh, the cash burn that you have today for this year, the next couple of years out. I think that has been a common thread and metric that I've used anywhere. It seems to be elevated in the biotech world. We talk more about the cash runway here than I have in any other industry. And you're always thinking about the next round of financing, what type of financing, and when and at what valuation do you go for these financings. That's a pretty common one, um, probably more of an emphasis here compared to other things that I've done. Then the other one is just on the clinical trials, and for each trial, you want to know where you are 
against the milestones that you set internally, whether it's recruiting patients or patients progressing throughout the protocol and the program that they're in, and then when you expect to have your data readouts, your primary endpoint, and when you may communicate those. So that, from an operational standpoint, the progress of a clinical trial is very, very critical in what we do. Have you structured your finance team differently than in other uh, companies? Um, it's, a, it's a lot smaller here. Uh, you still have the same functions and disciplines that are required. Um, there is financing work to be done. There's the general accounting. There's the financial reporting. There's tax and treasury. You touch all these different disciplines. Uh, you just have, you know, many fewer hands touching them because it's a small company. All right. Wow. Well, thank you for allowing us to ask you a few extra questions there. Uh, we want to move to what we think of as our signature question, uh, which is to have you share a, a finance strategic moment. And this is uh, doesn't have to be at Upsiva. It could have been earlier in your career. But uh, a moment of strategic insight that you experienced as a finance leader where you were able to see a risk or an opportunity and respond to it, either uh, – change the direction of your, your function or the, or the company or um, identify a risk uh, that uh, could present a problem down the, down the path. What, what comes to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Well, the, the one that I'll share with you, um, and this is, of course, in the public domain, I was the CFO at Demandware, which was a terrific e-commerce high-tech company company was doing very well. We were growing 30% plus per year, and we received an unsolicited offer for someone to come in and buy the company. And after many deliberations with the CEO, the executive team, the board of directors, uh, we worked with Goldman Sachs to help us evaluate the opportunity. We eventually decided it was in the best interest of our shareholders to sell the company, and the company was sold to Salesforce back in 2016. Um, and so that means a lot of change for a lot of the executives. Most of us don't stay. We end up leaving. But when you think about it from a shareholder perspective, I think we made the right decision. And it was a great deal, nice premium for shareholders. And the company ended up in a great place with Salesforce, which I think is a terrific company. And it's now the, uh, the e-commerce cloud within Salesforce and doing very well, as I understand. But it's hard to sell a company when you're an executive of a company doing very well and you enjoy what you're doing. There's a personal aspect that you have to put aside because at the end of the day you represent the shareholders and you have to do what is in their best interest. So uh, it's bittersweet when that happens. I'm going to use a, sort of a gimmicky question here, but I have to ask it. For those CFOs out there who are uh, about to go down a similar path and have uh, a similar set of uh, parameters, perhaps, where the company is likely to be sold. Uh, would you get what advice would you give them? And let's just say it's the high tech industry. You know, I would say a couple things. You really have to have your best view of the future of your company as a standalone company and evaluate what the real risk and the opportunities are. And you know, we're all, we, we all think about things differently. Some of us are very optimistic about the future. Some of us have more of a, a negative perspective. You want to get a balance of the most realistic perspective of how things play out. 
over the next few years because that ultimately drives the value of your company. And I think you, you've got to have good advisors who have done a lot of deals and have worked on a lot of deals. In the case of demand where we had Goldman Sachs and they were absolutely terrific and uh, outside counsel was Wilmer Hale and they are terrific. And you have to get good independent advice on top of what you're thinking. Uh, and it, it helps to have a strong board of directors. And at Demand where we had a terrific board of directors that could challenge the thinking of management and why we were headed in this direction, they really pushed back, have you considered the alternatives and let's have that discussion. So use, use your advisors and be as realistic as you can about where you think your company is headed down the road. When we come back, CFO Tim Adams enters the mentoring round with us after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. I'm going to move to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inform and inspire future finance leaders. What is it that's exciting you now about finance and business? Uh, we have the opportunity to grow our company at Zebra. We need a significant amount of cash to invest in the three new chemical entities that we have. And what I find fascinating about Wall Street and biotechnology is many of these biotech companies are burning cash. They don't have revenue. They don't have products that are approved on the market selling. And investors have the faith and confidence to invest hundreds of millions of dollars into this technology. And I'm just fascinated that the investor community is so supportive of these. You know, some of these are very high-risk ventures, and it makes it exciting to go out there and tell the story and raise money and continue developing your company. Going back now uh, to when uh, your, your first CFO role, the role where you took on the reins of finance leadership entirely, what is it that you wish someone had told you? when you first stepped into that office? Well, it's, it may seem like an obvious one, but the CFO really has to be the owner of the P&L, kind of the economic model of the business. And there are some companies that absolutely welcome that, and they want the CFO to drive that. And there are other companies that, you know, you may have divisional presidents or, or various leaders in the company that, want to run certain pieces of the P&L or divisional P&Ls. At the end of the day, I think you want someone at the top, the CFO, uh, with advice and counsel from the CEO and others, driving that economic model and getting 
the rest of your leaders to buy into that as to how it's going to play out over the next few years. Do you have a personal habit or routine that you believe has contributed to your professional success in some way? Yeah, it's um, it's going to the gym frequently. You know, I, I probably go five days a week, different routines, staying healthy at the end of the day. So you've got to exercise, you got to eat right and live right, and then you feel better. And I think you're you're you know you're on your game much better when you feel when you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a gym membership in Geneva now that you're going back and forth as much as you are? Um, I, uh, I go to a spin class in Geneva with one of my colleagues, so I pay by the visit. So I take advantage of her gym membership, and I do a lot of walking in the city, which is beautiful, and I try to get to the hotel gym while I'm there. Okay, just one last thought on that. I mean, obviously this is uh, – it, it seems like one of your more glamorous uh, – uh, a, a examples of, of uh, you know, as a finance leader, uh, this is an interesting chapter for you, no question. Um, any other thoughts on, on having to uh, connect with uh, Geneva in, in a foreign country and, and all of what that entails? Um, I actually like it quite a bit. I think, you know, what you realize, you know, I, I was born in the U.S. I've lived here my whole life. I've traveled the world a little bit. Um, there are a lot of great people, a lot of great cultures outside of the U.S. It's a much bigger world than just the United States. And for me, it's always exciting to get out and visit and explore and meet new people and learn learn new things. But there are wonderful people all over the world. And uh, it's better to go meet them face-to-face than to, uh, you know, to, to talk on the phone or to read about different cultures. I'd, I'd rather go see it firsthand. Yeah, I just find it interesting that your world, sort of in your last chapter with Demandware, uh, which you sell to Salesforce, it sort of has this Silicon Valley central uh, sort of end end chapter. And here, uh, Geneva, <laughs> the gravitational pool is to Europe. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, Demandware, because it was sold to Salesforce, which is very San Francisco-centric, Demandware was a a very global company. We had about a third of our revenue outside of the U.S., and our core engineers were based in Jena, Germany, which is like a two-hour train ride east of Berlin. Um, So we had a very strong presence over in Europe, which made it a very exciting uh, company to be with. Finally, when we uh, wrap up things, we ask you to look forward for us. And just um, what are your priorities now? I asked you what they were when you first arrived. What are they now as you look forward 12 months uh, as CFO of UpSiva? Well, we have, we have two of our three compounds, our new chemical entities, that will have phase three readouts at the end of this year. For one of those compounds, if the data is positive, we're on a path for regulatory approval in Europe, and this compound is called Nolazibon. We could be in the market, if everything goes according to plan, in early 2020. So we're now starting to pivot from a development biotech company to one that is thinking more about the commercial opportunities. We've recently hired a chief commercial uh, officer, and he is staffing up a little bit. So early 21, is the opportunity for us to be in the market. So we're starting to think much more about developing the organization and growing the organization uh, from a commercial standpoint. 
Tim Adams, thank you for joining us on CFO Coffee. Jack, thank you very much. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.